I hear birds. Where are the birds? Outside my window. Nice. They're just, they're just outside. It's it's a um, everything's apart here in oral argument world headquarters, Joe. I know that you you can't be here in person, but um, uh, painting is happening just outside wow. this room. Wow! Right now? Um, yeah, Mer- Meredith's out there painting. Oh wow, cool! And we've had some carpeting done. Mm. Uh, I have these windows open to kind of air things out, and so you're hearing bird sounds. You may hear all kinds of suburban sounds come through. Cool. Over the course of recording, so I, I, you know, I don't know. I can't be responsible. No, nor was I trying to hold you responsible. Um, so we're agreed on that. <laughs> I thought that's one of the functions that you serve, though, Joe. You, I mean, you keep me honest. You hold me responsible. You, uh, you know, you, you let you, you take me to the woodshed. Mm. I don't know. Nah. <laughs> you disclaim this responsibility. Eh, yeah, I guess maybe today, just for today. Maybe in future, we'll have more woodsheddings. But for right now, I just I don't have the heart for that. So it's been a couple weeks. Yeah, it's true. We haven't talked in a little bit. Yeah, I, I did a little bit of a COVID scare last week. Yeah, how's that going, by the it, way? It's, it's not. A, it's fine. Everything's fine. But, okay. um, you know, lots of people are suffering, obviously. So I'm not yes. going to make light of COVID for a single second. But, um, no, boy, it's, no, it, it's... it can be anxiety-producing and in all kinds of ways. No um, doubt. I've heard a number of people who, I don't know, have been taking, everyone's been taking this seriously. I don't, well, not everyone, but, but most people who are sensible have been taking this seriously, but people have different levels of, of risks that they take, different levels of risks that they can take or that they cannot avoid. And so, you know, it's hitting everyone in in very different ways. But a number of people who have been, who I've heard, you know, on podcasts and other places who've been ultra cautious are just, you know, they've said like this week, last week, like they're done with it. They just can't. It's like an it's like a I just can't even kind of attitude that I've heard, hmm. which seems you know it's like we're so close to the finish line and and so you know rationally you should be like totally amping up your precautions to <laughs> almost you know as as vaccines get closer to ridiculous levels, right? It should get more and more ridiculous the precautions you take as the the time that you need to undertake them lessens. Uh, yeah, I understand the formula you're you're making because you, your ability to sustain a level of precaution behavior uh, is um, is 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 lower when the precautions are extreme. You're, you're just able to sustain that for a smaller period of time. So right. when you know that that it only is going to be a small amount of time, you could say, "Well, but I could sustain that much greater precaution level." And stay, therefore, stay that much safer up until the moment that I get vaccinated, where now I've got that added layer of protection of vaccination, and then you've got the second shot. And so, yeah, I I understand the formula you're drawing. I think what it's interesting, and I had not heard the things that you had heard, but but I certainly understand uh, the range of feelings that come from trying to exercise uh, caution to varying levels uh, and in varying circumstances over long periods of time, as we have been doing, um, and the the different things that people are willing to do, have to do, etc. Um, so if you if you were feeling like you are you were already at an extremely high level, uh, and I could understand feeling 
fatigued by that, exhausted by that. Right. And, and wanting to see if there isn't some other level that is sufficiently careful, but maybe isn't to that extreme if you felt that's where you were and you felt you couldn't sustain it anymore. Um, so yeah, these are hard things that were, that people are navigating in such widely different circumstances. Um, that It's, it's uh, almost like an inverse of a sunk cost fallacy that, because if you just ask someone, you know, you explained all of the risks of COVID. Imagine we're in a universe where COVID doesn't exist, but you tell them, hey, there's this disease. And if you get it, this happens right. and you, you face these risks and you might pass it to other people. And you say, you know, given that, would you, would you forgo seeing your uh, aging parents for two months if you knew that that would be enough time to get through this? And you know, I think anybody sensible, given all the risks, would, would say yes. I mean, under almost all circumstances. But, right. and, 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 in, and in a way, if you've been like isolating from these aging parents for a year already, like it's even more obvious that you should take these additional two months because you only have two months. But, but this kind of inverse sunk cost fallacy is, oh my God, I'm sick of this. <laughs> Let's just get together. And right. right. Even though, yeah. Well, um, and, and, yeah. To, and the reality of fatigue over precaution is a, a, a reality. And so holding up against that, the abstract idea of, you know, well, will I do that for 14 months? Certainly. And when you say that in month one, and now it's month 13, <laughs> right. yeah. ability to sustain, I mean, this, like, we're all human beings, and we are not we're, rational capitalist calculators. As we've well, even if so, we, yeah. But but my point is, even if we were, right, the quality of the information you have from actually trying to do it for mm-hmm. X weeks is different from speculating oh, about yeah, doing yeah, it yeah. for X weeks, yeah. right? Right. So so I'm saying, quite apart from our our ability um, to engage in sort of a computational, a bloodless computational <laughs> approach. Um, okay, you you still need inputs to the computation, yeah. right? And 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 what are those inputs? Well, now they're based on experience, in addition to uh, the various notions I have about you know risk and worry and consequence and all those things. And, and there's like a, a direct, and maybe you're saying this, a direct and immediate sense of what those two months would be like because you've been going through them like two more months of this, like you have a very direct sense of costs and you have right. a sense that like, I thought this would end a lot sooner of the rug being pulled out from under you. And so you almost maybe don't trust that maybe in two months, things would go back to normal if everybody acted this way. You, Cause yeah, you hear well, some another... stories. Well, maybe, maybe it won't be until late 2021. And then you're like, well, screw it. Like, you know, who knows? And you only live it's once. An, it's another great point that we're like the, the, um, the estimates of time, uh, how well are vaccines being, uh, rolled out and delivered uh, frustrations and disappointments that people have about the pace at which that's proceeding. Um, you know, the, the there were not enough heavy objects to throw when I read the headlines about the fact that the prior administration really did have no vaccination plan um, at right. all. Um, they they had a uh, they had warp speed to try to get vaccines and happily that happened and that's wonderful um i still but, have some questions about the the way they did that but well, there was at least an effort to get vaccines produced exactly yeah yes uh and but of course vaccines don't protect people vaccinations do mm-hmm. and therefore the the complete lack of a plan to actually get vaccinations to happen and the kind of national coordination 
that that takes. Um, you know, be, I really have enjoyed the Ezra Klein show, and it's it's left Vox, and it's now at um, New York Times. And I would just encourage everyone to listen to the most recent episode of it at its new home, the New York Times. I don't know if you've listened to this uh, conversation he had with Vivek Murthy, the former Surgeon General, and who's now going to play a leading role in the vaccine response uh, at the national level. I don't know if you've had a, a if you've seen that hey, conversation or listened to it. I, I saw that it occurred, and I think I listened to a portion of it, but, um, but um, not all I, of it yet. I listened to all of it, and um, I found it quite illuminating uh, in many dimensions, including just informationally about what, how important the national coordinating role really is Mm -hmm. in some detail. I mean, I sort of had an intuitive sense. I think anyone would, if you'd lived through FEMA helping coordinate response to natural disasters in, you know, North Carolina and South Carolina from a hurricane season or something of that nature, right? You would understand the important role that can be played, even if all of your, all you're doing is sort of cutting through um, some what in normal times are sound administrative practices, but that need to be leapt over a bit when you're talking about an emergency. Um, and, And also just playing a coordinating informational traffic cop role to make sure everybody is informed about best practices and that kind of stuff. Even if that's all it were, it would be enormously important. Of course, it's more than that. Uh, there are actual resources that are needed for people who, given how little we have spent in public health areas in, in the last decades, um, and, and, that's, and we're now just putting an enormous demand on those public health systems, you know, money for, to hire more vaccinators and train them. And uh, I just found it an extremely uh, illuminating conversation. And Vivek Murthy, is, he's, he, he's very thoughtful, uh, very good at expressing complicated ideas in a way that I find to be complex and yet comprehensible. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I you, you don't ma- feel like you're getting the the um, the dumbed down version. You feel like it's, it's one of those conversations that makes you feel smarter for having listened to it rather than makes you feel either alienated because you can't understand it or like you really don't understand it because you were given a dumbed down version that doesn't correspond to reality. Right. Uh, it avoids either of those extremes. And he's also, he just seems to me um, a, a, a medical uh, doctor, a medical professional of, of extraordinarily deep compassion. And so speaks with that, with what I am experiencing as I listen to him, of this, uh, of a depth of human feeling that I find in a way sort of restorative and helpful just to hear a person having that level of compassion and right. encouraging me to have that level of compassion uh, is um, is just a, tremendous as well. So I really, I can't recommend that particular conversation highly enough for people to listen to. It seems like every, maybe maybe every few weeks, I kind of try to find, again, you know, some clear explanations for what the bottlenecks are. Like, why do we not have all the vaccines that we need right now? And, you know, uh, um, some of it has to do with like these lipids that they need to encase the mRNA in. Um, we don't know all of the bottlenecks in the um, in like the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, for which there won't be as many available, even if they get the emergency use authorization. Um, maybe maybe in the next few weeks. Um, uh, so it's been my and, and that there's you know the glass vials or all these different steps, but also so I finally found like a blog post somewhere that that seemed like it was from someone who who understood these 
production uh, facilities. But like I didn't link to it because I, I, you know, I don't know. It, it's it's not like it because there isn't a lot of reporting in major outlets that I can verify that go into exactly. Okay, here's exactly what the bottleneck. It's always like vague, like hand waving, like you know you can't stand these things up right away. And I'm like, well, why can't you? Like, what is like if we devoted a trillion dollars to this right now, and use the Defense uh, Production Act to the uh, maximal extent that we could, like what would the barriers be? Like this is. It's like a it's like a public health disaster version of what is it the mythical man month or something? What is was that the name of this thing? This was the this is like a Silicon Valley thing. This this idea that that actually by hiring more people and creating more man hours, I understand it sounds kind of sexist, but but more man hours doesn't actually create better products. Like mm. there's a there right. there are limits that you can't just throw more bodies at a problem to solve. And yeah. so it seems well, like because these, causing more bodies is now you have to manage more bodies. So you've got to manage I mean, them. Yeah. It solves one problem. It might create others. Um, it creates so, yeah, more I, meetings. And it's funny. It's, I don't, I don't yeah. I actually, it's, you mentioned looking into detail and trying to find these things. And I, I could, I have to say, I couldn't have less interest in those details. Um, I want it done. I want people who, <laughs> who are smart and energetic to accomplish it. Um, I, I can't possibly understand it in enough detail to contribute to its successful achievement. Well, I, um, but I think what everyone I want it should to want, be successfully achieved. Yeah. I want everyone. I mean, I think it should be important for everyone to to know: is this a problem of resources that we're willing to spend? In other words, there's just some amount of resource we're not willing to spend to get out of this problem. There's, or, or is it just there are some fundamental bottlenecks? Like if you know, you think of like the state of our world production capacity. And, and clearly, like COVID is the biggest problem in the world right now, right? Yes. I mean, we, we want to get it has been done. for some months. Yeah, and, and there's a tremendous amount of human suffering in in and and um, almost no nation, although there are some notable exceptions, uh, is immune from this. And, and so there's there's no more important human problem to solve right now um, than this one. Oh, Darcy's coming to visit. And and so. What is the? Are there like political economy constraints to throwing resources at this problem in 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 kind of the rational amount, or is it that there are just physical limits and expertise limits that can't be overcome by devoting more resources to it? So, and it seems like maybe it's a combination. I don't really know. I mean, from from reading it, like you, these production lines for these vaccines, especially these mRNA vaccines, you need specialized people on these production lines. So you can't just stand these up immediately. But like, how quickly can you stand them up? I don't know. Like how, you know, um, if, uh, if you authorized uh, somehow um, other pharmaceutical companies to produce this, could they? Like what, what are the, like these are the, this is the kind of reporting that I want to read because I think it's critically important to accountability. One, with the new administration, like, you know, what should we expect? Are, are we going to, you know, argue over whether we should spend a trillion dollars or half a billion or uh, not half, a, I mean, uh, 500 billion or 100 billion on vaccines? Like, that that's critical to public debate. Like how how much should we devote to this um, to yeah, try account- to get this over more quickly? And, and accountability is important. Um, it's I think it's most important in in if it can help bring a focus again to actually getting it accomplished. So if the people who are on the front line of trying to get this thing to happen can spend some time, and and there are going to be people who are going to allocate to this and other people who won't, but who can spend some time laying out, communicating what's happening, get questioned about what they're saying, right? So you can imagine a conventional briefing at HHS or CDC or what have you, where you've got the people who are trying to get the thing done 
answer like describing what the issue is today, answering questions about it. Right. And and maybe the questions even help spark additional thoughts about how it could be done more effectively. But that and that reporting is good and I'm and I hope it will there'll be more of it and and that's and I will read stories that I find informative and that's great. <laughs> I swear to heaven that uh, that to me if if in any moment there's a choice between being at the podium doing the briefing or actually being in the other room getting it to actually happen please do the get it happen stuff first <laughs> and then come tell me about it because boy does this need to get done. Well that's Yes, um, functional democracies can do both at the same time. We their absolutely can do both. Their absolutely, do, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, no question about it. But um, so the other issue is because the 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 degree of of, of um, human and economic disruption of this pandemic has been immense, and it was clear it was going to be immense since at least March. I would argue February or late yeah. January. Right. Um, you, you and I were talking about this at least privately early in February and I think yes. on this podcast in, in March. And it was clear, right, that this was going to be incredibly disruptive. So the other thing I don't quite understand is given that, because there was early reporting that made me feel better, like maybe about the Gates Foundation and others who were looking to pre-manufacture a whole bunch of vaccine, mm. right? So like... Because that makes sense in the context of this pandemic. Like for each of the vi- for each candidate, and there were I don't know there were I, I'm not sure how many 20, 30, I forget how many like somewhat reasonable candidates for vaccines there were early in the kind of phase one trials. Um, manufacturing enough doses for every person in the United States for each one of those vaccines, even though you know you're going to throw a lot of them away if they don't work, or guess what? There are other people in the world other than people in the United States. The United States could take the vaccines, the excess manufactured vaccines, and ship them around the world. And there's this COVAX program that is intended to to, to do some of that work. But, like, manufacture the vaccines. Just manufacture them in March, April, May. Now, I don't know how much of an—this is another thing. How much of that effort actually occurred? There was talk of it, but how much actually occurred in April, May, June, July— um, to the extent they ran into bottlenecks, were they trying to alleviate those bottlenecks then? What were they actually doing? And I don't know. I mean, every time I read something, it seems to confirm that actually they weren't really doing much of anything. Now, Fauci recently said that they were doing stuff, that there was activity, but I'm not sure who did what. Like, this is the kind of thing where maybe, maybe, and I understand your your position, Joe, so maybe this is something for after it's all over and we are able to have you know, commissions study this disaster and report on lessons learned, you know, this typical kind of, um, not typical, but maybe an atypical bureaucratic process, the kind of bureaucratic process that you have after a tremendous failure like that, that produces like a 9-11 report or a tower commission report, you know, these kinds of things. Um, I, I, I just think there, there was an inability to respond rationally to a disaster when the rational response was to spend, you know, buckets and buckets of money on, on manufacturing vaccines that you knew you, you would have to throw out a good bunch of them. But that was totally rational. But somehow it's, it's not the way we, you know, it's certainly not the way we normally proceed with procuring resources or solving right. problems. But this is not a typical problem. True. And there are, uh, I'm sure there are plenty of things one can learn about uh, failures and get them fixed wh- while you're in, you know, in the middle of things. Like, so I'm not saying all the accountability has to come later. Right. Uh, at all. Um, some of it will only come later. 
because yes. the intense the intensity of scrutiny that you would need to piece together both what was happening and what was deficient about it would distract too much from getting the actual job accomplished. Right. Um, and and so I, I hope that reporters uh, push to find out where that boundary is because that's how you find it. Is mm-hmm. you push on, <laughs> you push with questions and try to get information, um, and and so that we can learn the things that we can learn now while while things are still going on, um, and then learn even more later because uh, undoubtedly. This is sort of the thing speaks for itself, right? We, we there, undoubtedly there have been failures, because look at where we still are, right? Um, and it's in, it's so infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I and I mean honestly, in the range of people who have had ill effects, the the effects on me have been nothing compared to the effects that they've been on so many people, right? Uh, so if, if if I'm as angry as I am, I can't begin to imagine how angry some people are, justifiably, um, because it's touched me relatively little in the scheme of things. Yeah, but um, you, and you know people, and I know people, both personally and in professional orbits, who have lost parents, spouses, um, extended family. I mean, you know, we're we're going to close in on half a million dead um, before too long. Yeah, which is staggering. Yeah, I remember early in in March, where um, there were there were just a number of takes on Twitter before this really landed in the United States, and so before it really landed emotionally with people here that this is uh, that this is scary and something we will be dealing with rather than something which is just a few cases or is affecting other people. And people were just like um, saying, "Look, it's like ninety eight percent of the people don't really have any, you know, don't die," as if <laughs> as if that were you know reassuring. I remember pointing out that, like, even if, even if it's the case that um, the two percent fatality rate is actually, you know, much, it's actually much lower than that because that's only two percent of the cases you know about, and a lot of people have asymptomatic cases. So, so even if it's only, you know, one percent, um, what one percent of the United States is more than three million people, right? I mean, it's like that would be an atrocious death toll. And and I th- and and even if it were only half that, you're looking at a million, you know, more than a million and a half dead. And and I think when I said that, like it was so um, unfathomable, un- unfathomable. Uh, boy, see, I can't even say it. it the word is so <laughs> unfathomable, right? Uh, that um, th- that it seemed outlandish. Of course, we wouldn't tolerate that. So that that you know, if we were facing that, then people would really mobilize. But look how quickly half a million has become normalized. Like it's not. I mean, people are mourning, and it's probably an issue that um, that led to uh, to Trump's loss. But it, it's not as though people are are reacting to this as like an inconceivable failure, like a like a like a kind of like um, almost a a reckless murder of our own citizens. Uh, I, right. I, I'm just not seeing the degree of kind of indignity that you would think if you had told people in advance, by the way, the government is going to respond to this in a way which, um, uh, you know, to this, there will inevitably be deaths, but we're going to respond in a way that leads to an additional, oh, I don't know, 350,000 deaths. The people would be like, 350,000? Right? You know, 100, um, uh, you know, 100 uh, times 9-11? Like, I, don't, I think people would be, would have been early on you know, um, completely disbelieving 
that, that we would ever tolerate such a thing, that we could ever let such a thing happen. Yeah, and it's the difference, I mean, among other things, it's the difference between, uh, you know, a slow unrolling of, of you know, day by day versus, you know, hearing that number and imagining it all at once. Um, and again, speculation as opposed to concrete experience. And <laughs> I, I, I suppose a lesson of this is it, it, it you know, <laughs> as a country, we appear to be able to, into, uh, to tolerate an enormous amount of suffering. Yeah. Without without it mobilizing certain responses to try to bring that suffering to a a, a quicker conclusion by more responsible governance, isn't it a little bit like a, a social version of? Is it is it Susan Sontag? Who's the writer who talked about? Um, we've talked about this on the show before about about passing over from the status of the well to the sick, like how your life changes when mm. you become ill, you know, with cancer or something, and and. And you don't see it until you pass over into the um, into kind of the status of, of the sick, and that becomes a, a huge part of your life. And there's something almost social about that, you know, that we passed over from normal times to pandemic times in the same way that prior generations did with pandemics and did right. with war. Um, right. And, you know, there's a... A cultural, well, cultures react differently to that, but I feel like there's almost been a cultural coarsening. And, um, you know, we, I, I can't, I, you, you cannot say that we pulled together as a people. Maybe that's the tragedy of this. Yeah, we have well, pulled apart can, as a people. And there can be more than one of them. Um, so, yeah, I would say a tragedy of it. Um, yeah, well, that, surely, yeah. And, 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 and <laughs> I can't help thinking <laughs> that, um, you know the sort of here we are in in the in what I hope is a, a sort of a twilight of um, the rotted, rancid Thatcher Reagan insanity, um, and 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 I right. look at that as a sort of a turn toward the road that we are now so far down. And I wouldn't have picked coarsening, but. But I understand what, that word, and it, and it seems like a good one in a way. Um, but a, a, a kind of um, a kind of self concern and self regard, and a devil take the hindmost, that is uh, so appalling and so deep yeah. in everyone's experience and and attitude. Um, you know, I guess what I missed, which maybe I should have noticed or or should have assumed would happen would be kind of the worst the worst side of America is the side that reacted as it did to the Sandy Hook shootings of you know first graders and this tragedy where we basically didn't do anything and the even worse element is the element that has denied that it ever happened like right. to me it's it's the most horrific side of humanity and that that kind of you know 911 truther turned Sandy Hook truther turned you know um anti-mask advocate like these people who are denying that actually there's this much covid and all kinds of crazy stuff right that 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 this would actually be a big part of our politics around the pandemic was not something maybe i anticipated Mm -hmm. Um, partly because you know wearing high quality masks can protect yourself so maybe i didn't expect the sandy hookers to you know these kinds of people to to act so against interest that, that somehow like caring about saving your own skin would motivate people to 
maybe, you know, maybe I should pay attention to doctors here and, and, right. you know, yeah. um, but it didn't, right? I mean, there's, there's that element, which is not only, uh, which doesn't only exist, which is terrifying enough, but has thrived in the pandemic yeah. environment. And it's, and especially when you think about how a, a, a thing that is so simple to do and so inexpensive to do is so efficacious. Like it is a, it is a good thing that a, a really powerful preventive tool in the COVID context didn't turn out to be walking five miles on your hands, <laughs> right? Because most people can't do that. Um, and so they could be forgiven for failing to walk five miles on their hands. Um, but putting this strap across your mouth and nose, it's like, it's so easy. It's so cheap. It, it and so help. efficacious. It doesn't help that people who should have advised otherwise, I think, tried to play like armchair psychologist, social psychologist. And so we're worried that if they told people masks were effective, then people would hoard masks and the people who need the most wouldn't get them. And so there was all this kind of problem. And yes. then there was, and, I, and then they were I, also sold as protecting others and not yourself, right? These aren't going to protect you, but these will protect others. And, and the truth is like, these will protect you um, and the better mask will protect you better. And so, so there was this pushback. You know, first of all, it's like an indictment of a society where you can't motivate people to wear masks by telling them you'll protect other people. But that's, that's where we are right now. You know, you, you, you go to war right. with the country you have. And, um, but, but secondly, <laughs> you, you could actually, like, we could have done better by telling people, hey, you'll protect yourself. But people were already disbelieving at that point, right? There's always, already this kind of anti-masking, anti-lockdown thing going on. Um, yeah. and, and it led us not to prioritize manufacturing higher quality masks, like, you know, this is another thing we could do, like with more resources, send everybody some, you know, N95 or KN95 masks, um, send every American like two of these every week. That's, we could totally afford that. Oh, I, I have no doubt. Um, and you know, it's funny, the, um, it, in so many conversations about so many topics, a theme or a, a, a hardy perennial that you and I keep coming back to just because of our interests and our, our thought patterns and the like um, is thinking about uh, w what markets can accomplish, what they can't accomplish. Um, and, you know, the Defense Production Act is a great example of uh, uh, identifying um, a, a scenario where uh, letting the wonderful variety and and sort of trial and error uh, ways of doing things that markets are so good at when they're functioning properly and that provide a, an enormous amount of benefit, I would contend, um, and I think you would too, that you don't need that. <laughs> the, right. the, the Defense Production Act is a context where we all agree what the objective is. We all agree about the need to meet that objective forcefully and quickly. And in that context, to use a market mechanism instead is just bananas wrong. Right. What you do, it, which is right, is you grab it by the neck and drag it fast. Right. That's what the Defense Production Act lets you do. Um, because, you, 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 again, you don't need the market. Well, you know, there's, there's thousands of ways to think about this goal. And there's 10,000 ways for each of those ways to think about it to accomplish it. 
So you just let people do a lot of different things, some of which will work and some of which won't. You let consumers consume the way they want to. Some of it will wind up working. Some of it won't. And that's a great way to serve lots of needs for lots of people with lots of goals and lots of tastes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what markets are really good at for some th- for you know certain ranges of stuff. Um, but to, to to sort of look at the look down the maw of of a voracious pandemic and think, oh, we should handle this the way we handle you know cinnamon buns. <laughs> and shoelaces right it's just crazy B- because you know that you need as much vaccine as you can produce as quickly as possible in other words we want to produce this specific compound delivered in this particular way um uh and as masks fast, as fast yeah. as as fast as possible and masks yeah yeah right yeah. um yeah that that's true I, I you know i think the the usual defense of market approaches would be that if you allow people to kind of find out a cheaper way to do something or a more efficient way to do it and profit from that, then you'll get more market entrance. You'll get people who are kind of coming on the scene and saying, hey, I've got a good idea about how to do this. Um, but like with vaccines and masks, it's like, no, we need like, you know, 5 billion doses of this vaccine. And here's the here's what we've now identified as the fastest way to do this. And at least for this six months, this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to yeah. just, because we know it can be accomplished if we throw this many resources behind right. it. Now, after that and, period, you know, right. yeah, it, when, when you and if there is a more efficient way, of course, it would be nice to know. Um, and 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 um, and so whatever information flows there are, whatever we learn by doing it to the extent that we can implement that efficiency. Um, that's great. I'm sure that when producing military aircraft uh, in World War scenarios, I'm sure when people figured out some ways to do that more efficiently, that information was like mm-hmm. worked its way up the command hierarchy. And because that's we're talking about a modality that is that is fiat and hierarchy oriented instead of flatter and more individual initiative oriented. Right. Um, I'm sure some of those efficiencies worked their way into the system, but that's not the top priority. Right. It's not even the fifth priority. It's get this done. <laughs> like what? Ah, it's so <laughs> it's so frustrating. Um, to again, you know, ten months later, I don't know why. Why would anyone listen to this episode where I'm just where I'm just li- living out the frustration of the last ten months, like everyone else has? I'm saying uh, I'm not saying anything anyone doesn't know to the millionth degree, but you know, here we are. Yeah. Yeah, it's been about a year since that one tweet and th- there was this one tweet and it's I think it's famous now among epidemiologists and immunologist types but where someone was reporting some early data out of Wuhan and said, "Look, the if this is true, the R value of this of the uh of this disease is like 3, I forget exactly what they said it was, but it was something which was high and once you looked at that number, you knew this is going to be everywhere. If the if it's true, and P- and I almost retweeted because I was following this thing, and um, and then I, I hesitated because other epidemiologists started to step in and say this is too hasty. We can't worry people about this. You know, we need some more evidence about this. And if you ring the alarm now, it's going to be like crying wolf and everything. And so you know, I'm, I pay attention to that. And so hesitated, but boy, was I worried when I saw that. Um, and it's been about a year now. At that point, that's when people in government should have said 
this is worth spending tremendous resources on because they had access to more information. Like they, they weren't just like screwing around on right. Twitter like I was and running across, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, it should be mission one to say, uh, is this true? Um, what do we do? You know, uh, right. do we close our borders now? Do we start, you know, and within, um, you know, we need to get this, this thing sequenced. We need, you know, we have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, I'm, I don't know what I'm saying now. I'm just repeating a bunch of stuff. And in the same way you are, I'm kind of frustrated. Yeah. <sighs> That so it's funny. This, we got we got off on this. Uh, on, we, uh, we we've been traveling this road conversationally in part because you were noting um, that p- some people have sort of seems like they're kind of giving up on the precautionary steps they had been taking. Right. And um, at least some people under some circumstances. And I don't know what they were doing before, and I don't know what they're doing now. And I'm not. I, I'm not in the. Um, I'm not going to even begin to try to pass judgment on someone else's precautionary, like how they evaluate what they should do. And, um, but, uh, but uh, it's like, it is, it's, 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 it, it is sad and it's frustrating that we've been, it's been so long and people, you know, people are trying and, but it's very challenging. Um, and I get the fatigue and, uh, yeah, I just wish Pete, I just really want shots to go into arms. Yeah. So this, I'll I'll say this to our listeners. One, um, it's, you know, double mask. Like actually K95s and N95s are now available. You do not need to avoid them. Um, uh, If you can find some, get some and wear them and wear a cloth mask over it. And secondly, don't go to bars and restaurants. Just don't do it. Uh, Even if you're vaccinated, you should do both the double masking and not go into bars and restaurants because, you know, even these amazing vaccines, they still like it's 95 percent effective. That is not 100 percent. right? You can still spread this thing and we don't want any of it to spread, especially, you know, especially variants, which may be problematic. So so uh, uh, do all that. And what else was? Oh, yes. And 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 if you can get a vaccine, get it. Just just get the vaccine. Like at this point, you know, um, hopefully the Biden administration will have an orderly, you know, will will help to help states find an orderly way to administer this, which doesn't result in the spoliation of any vaccine. And, right. you know, and, and then, of course, you know, get in line in the right way and do everything the right way. But, you know, yep. as of now, like if there's vaccine available, get it. I, you know, I, we just want to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's my message. Those are three as as a law professor. Everybody wants a law professor's message on public health, Joe. Well, sure, sure, um, and I feel better <laughs> having having received your. No, those are good. Those are very practical, good things. In in early January, we 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 even stopped doing like porch things. If someone invites us, hey, let's sit on the porch, you know, distanced and all that, and it's like you know, um, when when we were up at the steep part of that curve, we said we're not going to do that right now. We're yeah. just going to. We just need to hunker down for a couple more months, and and I and this is a this is actually an, um, a thing where you and I differ. Like I actually think doing a porch thing is okay, um, and one of the reasons why I think doing a porch thing okay is is okay is probably because like if I can't do a porch thing, I'm really I'm just going to fling myself off my roof. <laughs> I mean, it's like yeah, I, I need yeah, right. I need to be there are things I need to be able to do right, and, and being outside distant from somebody but conversing with them like if i can't do that i just don't know how to describe how bad that is for me yeah so it's it, everyone is a, in a I'm, different I'm situation i'm willing to navigate that yeah 
Uh, so, so you know, I, that's why I think all of this has to be couched in terms of like advice and risk because everybody's encountering this differently. And of course, you live alone. Uh, I live with my spouse and my, my kids had been here. Um, now they're back at, at school. And, 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 you know, so you're encountering the pandemic very differently than I am. Like I have companionship here. It's not, you know, it, it's not, you know, we're, we're not able to get together with you and our other friends in the way that we would like to, right? Right. But that is a very different qualitative experience than kind of only seeing any other human beings through a, a Zoom window or something. Right. Or as, you know, uh, you may experience this way, you know, we go, we go for walks outside. So we do see people outside. It's just, you know. Sure. It, during this period, like sitting, you know, somewhat close for long periods, you know, there's a minimal, you know, it's a, it's a higher risk than just passing people who are on the other side of the street when you're walking. And so. Of course it is. I'm, you know, and I don't, I, I know that it's riskier. Um, and, but and the risk I'm, is small. You know, yes, but, it, yeah, and, the, but I'm willing to take it even, even exactly. though it is larger. Because um, the cost to you of, of, of not doing it is higher than it is for us. But um, uh, anyway, I, I don't know where it was. But, you know, the, the, the other thing is, is, I think especially living alone, if you only encounter people when you have to go out, like to the grocery store or something like that, and, and when you do that, you're kind of observing, are they wearing a mask? Like you, you, you automatically see people as a source of risk. And that's like a... That's one of the things that feels so bad about this pandemic, right? Mm. Is not delighting in the physical presence of other people, but like being anxious about it or worried about it or, or, or anxious makes it sound like it's not rational, but sometimes very rationally worried about proximity of other people, right? Sure. And that's not my, you know, that's not how, um, that's not my natural mode. No. Yeah. Of being. So it's a, I am getting pushed into a different way of, thinking and experiencing other people when I'm experiencing them that way. Right. With the level of caution, that is totally appropriate. <laughs> it's right. not that it's inappropriate, right? Um, so, yeah. No, it's, it's just we're in an environment where the right way to look at other people is as a source of some amount of risk, right? And so, you know, it, it can be, you know, it can be safe to be around other people, but only under certain circumstances. And that circumstance yes, and you'd have to like, be mindful of that. Exactly. That sucks. Uh, yeah. Mm, bugger. I had something else I wanted. Uh, what was I going to ask you about? Hmm. After we, we, we should close out. Like, you know, it's like every time you get together with, any, with anybody, eventually you start talking about the pandemic. Feels like. And <laughs> we already did it. And we already did it. We <laughs> started from that. Yeah, we sort of went there. Hey, while you're, if you're, uh, see if you can recall what you were, the other thing you wanted to talk about. But I, not too many minutes before, um, uh, you and I got together to talk, and I did. I, I, I tweeted about it um, jokingly, um, but uh, it did. It did. It struck me as enormously uh, both funny and weird, um, and uh, and it's and it's connected to. It stuck out to me because of it. It connects to a, a lesson I do in when I teach trademark law as part of the IP survey, and this uh, doctrine of aesthetic functionality uh, that trademark law uses for certain product design questions um so craft macaroni and cheese did you see this tweet of mine i think i saw i i haven't really been on twitter today but i did think i i do think i saw a tweet that had like a, a different color uh yeah, i don't want so, to steal your thunder but what, so tell us right Jeff. so well so craft macaroni and cheese and and this isn't um 
it's not apparently because I did read one or two stories about it in my shock. Um, apparently, this isn't a, actually a product that's going to be widely available in stores, but is instead something like the you know there's some some you enter some kind of raffle and they're going to send things. But it's basically oh, so- craft. Crab macaroni and cheese, but it's pink. Yeah. And it's this very bright, deep pink. Uh, and it's for Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. So coming, which is coming up in, in just uh, two weeks and p- plus a few days. Um, and I just found, <laughs> I found the site of this dish of pink noodles and this particular shade of pink, which to me shouts run 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 very well, far away <laughs> it, it of course raises the question like how do you turn the, the 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 bright and deep natural orange color of craft macaroni and cheese into this pink? <laughs> right so the it's funny that right because the orange color of craft macaroni and cheese is itself somewhat alarming um well, but, that, see, actually, but then to becomes me the, endearing hmm? to, to me the the bright orange color signifies yumminess because um when backpacking and mountaineering we would Mm. always like when you after after a hard day you get into camp and before anything else not before anything else but some people are setting up someone would start boiling some macaroni nice you'd make you'd make uh craft macaroni and cheese in the bag Mm. right so you kind of just you know you you pour out you know pour it out put it all in the bag mix it up in a ziploc bag and then you pass the bag around and everybody dips in with their spoon they get and you just pass it around till it's gone and we call it a (laughs) We called it a macetizer. Nice. Because it instantly provides that little bit of saltiness, you know, and um, and sustenance that kind of makes you, lets you get on with things, makes you actually feel like you can eat dinner. And if you, where if you didn't eat right away, you might crash before. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so. And it's got some, you know, it's a little bit creamy. Oh, so yeah. it's got, it's got some mouthfeel that's nice. And um, it, it, it is a perfect food to, it's a perfectly restorative food after you've been climbing or hiking all day. Yeah, well, I have no trouble believing that. Um, not, I'm in no position to have the experience, but it's um, that I have no trouble believing it. Um, but I, I will say, but, Joe, as parents of the 2000s, our kid, you know, I grew up on Kraft macaroni and cheese, as I'm sure you did. Like, you know, that was oh yeah, yeah. You can't have had an American household without having some of these boxes. Now in. it's like Annie's or so. Yeah, our kids grew up on Annie's, and 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 it's it's fine. It's delicious. I'm I'm sure it's uh, well. I'm not sure, but it's, maybe it's more healthful. I don't know, but um, I don't respond with quite the same glee to the sight of Annie's white cheddar as I right. do to that orange color. That orange color says to me, "You are about to be full and happy." Yeah, because years of of hardcore dedication of chemical engineering has gone into the production <laughs> of that. I mean, you know, if you think about a McNugget or a Twinkie or, or Kraft macaroni and cheese, I mean, that is some very, very high grade chemistry going on mm-hmm. uh, and lots of research and energy going into what is the way to most immediately latch onto and, and, and hold tightly with your, your uh, organic chemistry fist the simian brain um, <laughs> inside the humans who are yeah. eating this food. Like they are, they're you trying <laughs> so hard to do this and it works. This is what markets are good for, Joe. You're not going to produce something as perfect as Kraft Macaroni and Cheese with the Defense Production Act. No. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, and so I'm all in favor <laughs> of, of markets doing what markets do and the, and the DPA doing what the DPA does. Um, yeah. 
but that pink stuff wow and and that reminded me the pink so so pe- people should look for this can it's called candy uh craft uh mac and cheese the, the 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 shade of pink is just so alarming um and, and to me so profoundly unappetizing now if i spent some time staring at it maybe my mind would change i would admit, admit that but um, joe i think if we raised a child on pink craft macaroni and cheese like you know this is like is your green the same as my green kind of thing mm. i think for them pink would be the color of salty filling deliciousness and when they saw that pink macaroni and cheese, you know, after like trudging into camp, they would think, oh, my, all my problems are over. This is it, like, that could I, be. I'm a happy person. That could be. And it's, um, you know, this, 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 this color is like close enough to what you could imagine, like a raspberry sherbet having mm-hmm. this color mm-hmm. or something like that. So it's not, I mean, it's not like it's some color that couldn't possibly be something edible. Um, which is how it connects to the trademark uh, aesthetic functionality doctrine that has come up in some cases where, you know, people are trying to use color as a source indicator. And the fact that for some products, some colors really are the color that you need to use in order to be competitively viable. So letting any one party have that color as an exclusive color would be problematic for Mm. competition in a way that, for lots of products, it wouldn't be problematic to let people protect a particular color. But if we were, you know, again, on foodstuffs, if we were, imagine someone wanted to use as a source indicator for their strawberry ice cream or their raspberry ice cream or whatever, a a shade of pink. And I said, well, wait a minute, that's, that's the color that everyone's going to expect that product to be. And, and in fact, if it had to be some other color to try to be far away from your color it might look very unappetizing right um so the color the color is functional in that in that regard right it's signaling something about uh, to a consumer that this is an okay uh instance of this thing uh and that of course has that's true in a deeply biological sense joe because you know um like like a green strawberry would is is a deep biological signal that this is not yet ready to eat Right. <laughs> and, and, well, and right, and depending on the shade of green, um, it might be like whether it's ready or not, you do not eat this. Right. Um, and so like a, it, bl- a blue apple would be a clear sign avoid. Mm, like that's pro- right. that's it. That's in our probably in our simian brain that you were talking about earlier. You do you do wonder, and so that's what is that's what people are playing with when they make, um, and and hey, it could. Uh, just one other story I want to mention from from the winter break um, that I saw that I also thought of when I after I wanted to run away from that uh, picture of the plate of pink macaroni and cheese. Um, but that's what you're messing with when you when you offer a thing that's very far away from its customary color, especially if it's a food. You're like, you really you want me to eat that? That's really disgusting looking because it's the wrong color, right? right. Um, for some value of the word wrong. Uh, the other story that I saw, which I thought was so funny, is... Uh, so, um, Oreo cookies, 
the tradition is another thing you and I probably like. I know I grew up with Oreo cookies. I don't know if you were an Oreo cookie. I was never a fan. Yeah, I mean, um, everybody always had them. This is a little bit like Snickers. Like I was never a Snickers fan, and and like why would you eat a Snickers when you could have like a Milky Way or a mm. or a hundred grand bar or or just a a good Hershey's bar? Like I never quite understood. It's like you've got the chocolate and you're going to throw some peanut butter in there or something. Like you can always have peanuts. It's like I don't know. Right. I, I recognize uh, that makes me weird, but this is the kind of thing where I thought it seemed totally normal. And so this is this is uh, similar to that. Yeah, so I, I was an Oreo fan. I, I, I was still enjoy an Oreo cookie, but the, what the story was about was, so Oreo has from time to time, apparently for some time now, been, you know, they'll come out with some new Oreo cookie gimmick, right? Some yeah. new flavor of Oreo cookie. And what this story explored and reported on is... That actually, the the reason that Oreo does this is not because they're actually trying to get people to enjoy and accept this new Oreo thing. Right. It's because it's an advertisement for the original Oreo. Yes. That when they launch a new flavor, people pay attention to the story long enough to get reminded of their enjoyment of Oreo cookies. Yeah, this is all about the brand. Apparently. And it, uh, what does it say about me that when I read this story, I was like, "Oh, that's fascinating." Like, do you, do you I, listen to uh, Do you listen to my brother, my brother and me, the McElroy Brothers show? I do not. Oh, it's. I mean, once you start, when, once you get into the McElroy extended universe, you just uh, you're never getting out of there. Yeah, well, um, that's it's hard to avoid. Honestly, it's a. Quite, oh. I I think it's impressive that I'm not a regular listener of anything McElroy. Oh well, that's that's you know. That's your loss, but eventually, I say you're, it's maybe your gain because once you do get into it, you'll be you'll have all of them to listen to. And um, uh, but did they, they have talk a regular, about the Oreo story? Did uh, they? I, I can't remember if they, I'm sure they have at some point because they have a regular segment called Munch Squad, mm. um, which is introduced through some kind of beatboxing and and um, uh, acapella of uh, I want to oh. munch. Oh, all right. Like like I want to rock, but it's I want to munch. Okay, Squad. And and it's always like reading press releases from like fast food, like you know Taco Bell's latest thing, yeah. and they talk about the and, and and lately they've all been you know in these troubling times, mm. you know the Taco Bell family wants blah 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 blah, and uh, so this is all right. about brand. They're always introducing new and and oftentimes disgusting product ideas, right? And they have I don't know why they have press. Re- I don't know who's the audience for these press releases. Well, this was I mean, and this was not a press. I mean, this story I think was in the New York Times or something like that. Yeah, I mean, which is you know. So I encountered it in a in a, in a, a mainstream publication for sure. Uh, and and I don't think any of the Oreo flavors have been shock flavors or or uh, you know sort of like Halloween. Let's gross out the kids by having this sort of sick and slimy version of X. Right. Uh, like that's not what they're doing. It's it's you know it's they're like trying a, to offer this interesting alternative, but but ev- but they know that that's not actually what they're doing. They know that, that what they're yeah. doing is driving sales of the original because those increase. This is like a this is like a more honest like new Coke kind of thing. Like we're <laughs> going to introduce this thing and and we're going to make it sound like it's a big deal, but we know that you know, but it's going to drive interest in the brand. That that's what I'm saying. The Munch Squad segments are usually always about right. It's, it's yeah, but uh, was that New Coke thing? That I don't think that's what happened. I think they really I, wanted there to be New Coke, and it was a t- complete disaster. I I think that's right, but I don't know. You know, uh, this is this is a, this is the kind of conspiracy theorizing that I wish we would specialize in as a nation. And mm. leave like the serious stuff to the other side, like right, right. Let, let there be let there be conspiracy theories about whether New Coke was really ever intended to be the thing, or whether it was intended to generate interest in classic when it came back. 
But there's uh, there's no need to wonder about this in the case of Oreos because this is a matter of of uh, some some uh, reporting and mm-hmm. um, some and there are some data behind the the reported story. So, but how uh, do you know there isn't like some kind of Skunk Works project deep in Oreo headquarters? Where there's a group which is saying this is, you know, they, they've tested, they, they think people are going to get addicted to this flavor, they just love it, and they think they're going to take it over, and they're going to get promotions, and suddenly they're going to be Oreo CEOs. Okay, I think what they call them C- CEO Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's, you could easily enough spin up a, consp- a conspiracy theory about, um, about the attempted takeover of the Oreo brand by the Oreo Skunk Works Project, which was creating this kind of weird mm. Oreo thing. Okay. Maybe the okay. same with the pink mac and cheese, for all I know. And this is this is brings us back to that to that uh, story, the candy, craft macaroni and cheese. Uh, it's it it is said to have a candy flavor, uh, profile Ooh. as well as being the pink color. Oh uh, no, that is. I'm starting to lose my appetite, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I was I mean, just about to think, like, should we, with our classes, because of course, you know, the topic for today, Joe, is, um, is, uh, is how we're teaching these days in the pandemic. That's the topic for today. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's all about teaching and, and classes and exams and things which might be of interest to law students. Yeah. That's the topic for today. But, uh, so I was going to uh, ask you, um, well, I was going to suggest from, based on this conversation, should we be like having like a class or an assignment or something, which is clearly like awful, like bogus, just to drive interest in our brand. <laughs> um, wait, that isn't what we've been doing? Yeah. these days. Did you remember uh, the other thing that you wanted to ask me about? I think I was going to mention the fact that, um, that they did, in fact, uh, there was a group of 10 Nepalese... Uh, 10 Nepali climbers who who did Summit K2 in January. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was amazing. And, you know, there, there was a, a tragic fall from someone I'd been following. Um, uh, and um, so it's not all a happy story, but um, but among those 10, they all got back safely. But it, it's just, a, I can't, it's just, a, it's just outrageous. I mean, it's just like, it's like negative 80 up there with the wind chill constantly like negative 40, negative 50. And it's just, I think they summited on on a really good day when the winds were light, Mm. but you know, you have to kind of go with the forecast is up, like it pokes up into the jet stream. There are people who've been literally blown off of the summit Ridge, um, before this is in summer. Um, but like, you know, you're never going to be climbing when it's not, you know, you're going to get up in these camps. It's going to be continuously minus 40. Wow. So you have to do, it's just, you know, you see people in these tents and it's like just, it's raining frost inside the tents just from your breath and cooking. And so there's just frost everywhere. It's just a, um, a truly forbidding environment. And the climbing is just outrageous too. If you see some, uh, we, we talked about this on the, on another show, but anyway, I just wanted an update there. They did, um, okay. Wild. That's wild. They, they kind of joined arms and um waited on each other and and walked the last little bit up to the summit together singing the nepali national anthem mm. that was kind of huh. cool okay. so an incredible achievement that does sound uh, quite staggering and amazing yeah mm. so that that's um, all okay thank you for that is uh what what uh, we're we're 
Oh, we're at 59 minutes. If we if we stop now, we can be under an hour. That's okay. Let's do that. <laughs> Have we ever done that before? I don't. I don't think I've ever said anything that you've been as interested in as as, as that. <laughs> well, I just I feel like that if we've never recorded for less than an hour, we definitely we want to hit that. Oh, we have, especially like those times I've called you up on the road and stuff like that. No, oh, that's there have yeah. been short episodes, but right, uh, let's but, stop now because we're still under fifty. We're still under an hour, so uh, I'm gonna hit stop, and I will talk to you soon, Joe. With okay, a real, we'll come, we'll come back with a real episode soon. Okay.